you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read the first 14 verses of John chapter 1. I don't know about you, I like fall. I like the sound of leaves. But I like them even more in the church when you can hear the leaves as the people go through their Bibles. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being, that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let us look to the Lord for guidance and direction and understanding as we look into his word. Father, we thank you that this word is truth because you are truth and it comes from you. Thank you, God the Spirit, that you're the interpreter and teacher of this word and I just pray that you will guide the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts together that we might be blessed in the truth of your word and strengthened with all might in the inner man may you be glorified through the teaching of your word this morning I pray in Jesus name amen I thought I'd begin off this morning, I'm going to be looking at verses 4 and 5, but before I do, I'd like to give you what I call a defense of the, Goth- of, of the Apostle John. Uh, if you look at many of the commentators, or at least some of them, they will say that John 
is the only gospel that doesn't talk about the incarnation. And uh, uh, I've heard a lot of preachers parrot that and say, John is the only uh, apostle who does not um, deal with the incarnation. He just starts off his gospel and doesn't deal with the incarnation. And uh, I, I am going to defend John the Apostle <laughs> here and show you that he does begin with the incarnation. Let me just say and be very careful. He doesn't talk about shepherds. He doesn't talk about angels. He doesn't talk about the Virgin Mary. He, he doesn't talk about Bethlehem, he doesn't talk about a crib or a cradle, but he does talk about the incarnation. And it's important for us to understand. And uh, uh, we don't see all those frillies that come with the incarnation, but I want you to look at verse 14. Because this verse is a real, concise, exact representation of the incarnation. It says, <clears throat> And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, let me just start off by pointing out a phrase here in this verse. It's the, the phrase, the only begotten. The only begotten. That phrase is only used six times in the New Testament. And it's used, out of those six times, it's used by John five times. So it's his word. He uses it in this 14th verse, you look, you'll see it again in the 18th verse. And then uh, he, in John 3, uh, verse 16, he uses that same phrase. And verse 18, and then in 1 John, chapter 4, verse 9. So this, this phrase is a very important phrase because what it literally says is that it's uh, referring to someone who was uniquely born. Someone who was uniquely born. And uh, the other passage where we find this is in the book of Hebrews. In, in Hebrews, uh, it, uh, it, it tells us th that Isaac was uniquely born. Isaac was uniquely born. So all the other passages refer to Christ, but this and, and the Hebrews passage refers to uh, Isaac. But if you look at the fact that both of them were uniquely born in two ways. First of all, their birth was prophesied that it would come, 
God prophesied that their birth would come. And the second thing is that their births came about under impossible situations. For, for example, Christ was born of a virgin. That's impossible. And Isaac was born of Sarah, and she was 90 years old when he was born. And that's impossible unless, unless there is a special work of God. And so when, when John here uses that phrase, he, he, uh, he is talking about what happened by the proclamation of God and the miracle of God. That Jesus was uniquely born. Let me give you a little translation of that verse. It says, also, and I'll, I'll explain this next phrase, the intelligent communication of God. The, it has the word, word, and the word, word, means intelligent communication, and it's referring to Jesus Christ, who was the intelligent communication of God because he came from God and he was the only one that could communicate God intelligently. And uh, those of us even in the pulpit can't do it intelligently because we never came from God, but God brought us into his family and is teaching us and we learn. So he was the intelligent of communication of God and he came into existence as a living creature. He came into existence as a living creature. Also pitched his tent in the sphere of us. Also we viewed intensively his reputation. That is his praise and his honor. In a manner of the only uniquely born one of a kind from near the father filled to the full, absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men. In other words, he was completely filled with God's love and grace, and he was the real expression of that. And, and uh, the unrevealed reality of the Father. Let me just point out here five things to you. First of all, in this statement, he talks about Christ becoming man. That's the incarnation. See, he's, he's communicating the incarnation. He's talking about Christ becoming man. And then the second thing he communicates is that Christ's existence was temporary. It says he tented among us. He didn't come here to stay, but he lived, and I say this as a man, because he still lives within us, and he's still here, but as a man, he only came in a temporary way. 
And then third, his character and its verification. It says he was viewed intensively for his reputation. Everybody looked at him and they looked at Christ and they saw, oh, look, look at who he is. Some people said he's not what he says he is. Some people said we don't like him and like what he says. But everybody was intensively watching him and looking at him. And then fourth, that he was uniquely born. He was uniquely born. The, the uniquely born one from God. And then he, uh, it also states the fact that he was uniquely born, but he came from near the Father. He was near the Father. He came from God, came from the presence of God. And so he was special in that way. And the fifth thing is that he was a revealer of the truth of God and his love. It, uh, he, he, he was filled to the full with grace and truth. You see, grace and truth is, especially grace, is the free expression of the love of God toward man. That has nothing to do with man, but that it is the activity of God. And so he, he communicated it because he was full of it. He understood the grace of God because he came from God. And so, in my estimation, that is probably one of the most strong and concise Verses on the Incarnation you can find in the Scripture. It was clearly stated by John as what Christ did and how He came here and how He came to be as our Savior. So <clears throat> that's my defense of, the gospel, of John and the fact that he did, he did in his Gospel bring the Incarnation into it immediately and so I think that's important so now that I got that off my chest <coughs> we'll move on and I want to look at verses 4 and 5 and uh, let me read them to you again in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, uh, as we look at these two verses, let me just take you back because I know all of you remember when I preached the first three verses, right? You all got it. <laughs> and I know some of you weren't here at the time. And uh, uh, let me point out what I did in those first three verses because if you have a Bible that has a heading, it probably says in your heading, just like my Bible, the deity of Jesus Christ. But those first five verses 
and excuse me for the interpreters here, but it does not speak of the deity of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the eternity or infinity of Jesus Christ. And what John is doing is he's laying down the eternity or infinity of Christ as the basis of the deity of Christ. Christ was always what he was. He never changed. He never changed. He was always God. And so we looked at that, and we looked at each term and each word, and I think it's important excuse me, uh, to just point this out again. The, some of these words we take for granted, but I think they're important. It says, in the beginning. The beginning means before anything was created. That's the time that was there. It says, the word, and that's, uh, I've already mentioned that, it's the, the word logos, which means intelligent communication, and he was the intelligent communication of God because he came from God and he was God. And so he was the intelligent communication of God. And the word was, and the word was comes from the root word to exist. And the verb tense he uses here is unique, almost to John. Paul uses it a couple times, but it's almost uh, uh, John's word, uh, a verb tense. And it talks about something that was always going on in the past. Something that was always going on in the past. So because the word was means to exist, you could then translate that word, and always continued existing in the past. He always continued existing in the past. And then <clears throat> he says, he was always continued uh, uh, with God, and that word with means, or has the idea in the original of being face to face with God. He was always continuing in the past face to face with God. There was never a time that Jesus Christ was not face to face with God. He was intimate with the Father. That's why we have our Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who were one in eternity and uh, infinitely bound together. And, uh, and then he said, it says the Word was God, and you could literally translate that. And the word always continued existing God. There was never a time that Jesus Christ was not God. He was always God. And uh, so we... Uh, uh, he was... Verse 2, he was always existing when before creation with face to face with God. And I think that's important for us to understand. That's why I'm saying John is emphasizing here the infinity or eternity of Christ. 
because you can't have deity without eternity or infinity. He was deity because he always was God. And that's what made him who he was. And then he says that uh, he, all things came into existence through him. And apart from him, nothing came into existence that came and exists today. And so it's very important. He sets this all out. And then in the uh, last two verses, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And uh, let me just give you um, a literal translation of that verse. It says, In the sphere of him always continued existing life, also the light also continued always existing as light or shining forth. There was always a shining forth to men or to mankind. Also the light continues illuminating. I like the way A.T. Robertson puts it. He says, the light keeps on giving light. The light keeps on giving light. There's never a time that Jesus Christ in his existence as God from infinity on never gave light. He was light. Light was him and he was light. And it's important for us to understand that. <clears throat> he keeps on shining in the sphere of darkness. By the way, darkness in the scripture has the idea of unhappiness or ruin. And uh, people who are in darkness are unhappy and they're in the midst of ruin and chaos. And so uh, that's, that's important for us to understand. And also did not admit or receive or accept the light. Man does not, and we'll look at this in a, in a bit, but man does not naturally go after the light. I'm finding that in my old age when I'm driving and these LED lights come on the road. I'd, I don't go after that light. <laughs> I don't like that, you know. Uh, but uh, 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 man, because he's a creature of darkness, does not accept or go after the light. He loves living in darkness. He loves living in darkness. So, uh, I just want to point out in these two verses four things that we learn from these two verses. First of all, Christ's love, uh, excuse me, Christ's life in us carries light. Christ's Life in us carries light. In other words, when Christ comes into our life, he brings light into our life. He carries life with him. 
it says, in the sphere of Him, always continued existing light also. So wherever Christ is, there is light. Christ is the light. And let me point out, the sign of a true believer is that he has light on the truth of the Word of God. And he begins and grows in his understanding of the truth of the Word of God. Light comes into his life so he can see the truth. And it is revealed to him. And uh, it, it, it is <clears throat> very important to realize that. And let me point out that that light should be increasing and does increase in the life of the faithful believer. It comes to us as light through the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, therefore, we are responsible as God's people to be in the Word of God, which is light, and be studying it and growing in the light as we study it. We have many Christians today in the church who are 30, 40 year believers and are infants in their Christian life because they don't personally study the Word of God. And the Word of God brings life and light. I would encourage you all to read Psalm 119. It has a lot to say about that. But let me just pick out a couple verses for you. Psalm 119 and verse 9. It says, How can a young man or anybody else keep... By the way, that anybody else, I, <laughs> I interjected it. None in the text if you're looking at it. Uh, uh, keep his way pure. How can he keep his way pure? How can we, how can we stay pure? It says, by keeping it according to your word, God's word. That's where our purity comes from. As we understand God's word and live it, we find that. And then look at verse 11. It's, he says, your word have I treasured in my heart. For what purpose? He says, in order that I may not sin against you. You see, we have to know God's word and live in it so we don't sin against God himself. We have to understand what God says in his word and live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit and be the kind of people God wants us to be. And then look at verse 105. That's a little ways down from 11. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, God's word is not only helps us grow, not only purifies us, but it gives us direction for our living. It's a light. It's a light. And that's why uh, God's word is given to us because 
it's a light for us. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. How do you do that? He tells us, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. Let me just say, and this is a free lesson here, but uh, uh, there's a difference between exegesis and eisegesis. Eisegesis is real cold. <laughs> exegesis is taking out of the Scripture what the Scripture is saying. Eisegesis is reading into the Scripture what you think it's saying. And there's a great distinction because when the Word of God changes us, we have to know what the Word of God is saying, not what we think the Word of God is saying. And so he, he says that we should accurately handle the Word of Truth. And uh, it, it's vital and important. So we saw that uh, uh, the, the Christ's life is in us and carries light. The second thing that we want to look at is the fact that Christ's character as God and his humanity in this life was light to us. Because he had a godly character, because he was sinless and perfect, he came as light to us. And he also brought with that light, life. You see? So when the light came, it brought life. Light and life are bound together. The two can't be separated. And if you don't have light, you don't have life. And if you have light, life, you have light. And that light should be affecting your life as you faithfully study the Word of God. <clears throat> when Jesus was on earth, you remember at the raising of Lazarus, it says in John 11, verses 24 through 27, <clears throat> John 11:24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, and I, I'm going to change these two words. Your, your scripture text probably says, I am. But it's better translated, I exist. I exist. The resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And even if he dies, he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And the question to Martha is the question to us. 
Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe who Jesus is as resurrection and life? And that's what transforms us and takes us, as we'll see in a moment, out of darkness into light. You see? And that's <clears throat> vital and important. There's a beautiful passage in the Old Testament prophecy of Micah. If you look at Micah chapter 7, <clears throat> verses 8 and 9. Micah chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. It says, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness. And then notice this next phrase. The Lord is a light for me. Even if, if everything around me is in darkness, I still got God and He's still my light. He's still my light. Uh, uh, I, I think that's so beautiful. And he says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him until He pleads my case. Until He pleads my case and notice, he says, and executes justice for me. When did that happen? He executed justice for us in Jesus Christ. And He pleads our case for us. And He says, He will bring me out to the light. He will bring me. It's God who brings us out to the light. <clears throat> and I will see His righteousness. And so, we, there's a beautiful verse there. And then in Psalm uh, 27 and verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. You notice how the two are tied together so often in Scripture? Light and salvation come together. They come together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And so, it's a wonderful thing and he goes on and says, The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So would I worry? God has taken care of everything for me. I'm okay. I'm okay. That's the second thing. And the third thing I want to point out is that Christ continues to carry light to mankind. It says, The life also continues to light mankind. And let me just say, there has never been a time when men who have turned to God have turned to God without the light that comes in Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Peter tells us very clearly that they knew about it, but they didn't understand it. But they were looking for it and searching for it. They knew what they were looking for, but they couldn't find it. And we have been given to it. It has been given to us, I should say. Now, we have been given to it, but yeah, in a sense that's true also. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, the light has been given to us in Jesus Christ. And so 
we now have that light that they were searching for. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 24 and 25, it says, and Pastor Tony, next, maybe next year or a year later, we'll, we'll explain this. But it says, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness. Therefore, Christ becomes to us the source of righteousness through His death. Through His death. As we are introduced and become part of His death, Romans 6 makes that very clear. We died with Him and we were raised again with Him to newness of life. And we have that life in Him and that life brings us into light and brings us into righteousness. <clears throat> and it's very important. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Gentiles, foolishness. Uh, as I was reading that last night, I thought, you know, we go out and witness to people, but we don't realize that unless the Spirit of God opens their hearts and minds, what we're saying is foolishness to them. It doesn't mean a thing. Have you ever got discouraged about the fact that you witnessed, and maybe to somebody over and over and over and over again, and nothing happened? Why? Why did nothing happen? Because what were, you were saying to them was foolishness. Didn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense unless the Spirit of God takes that truth and transforms their life through that truth. You see? And so our job is not to convert people, but to be witnesses. To be witnesses to Him. And that's what he called us to do. So he says, it's to the Gentiles it's foolishness, but to those who are the called, the called. That is, there are those who are specifically called by God to be part of his family. They are the called. He says, to the called, both Jews and Greek, doesn't matter who you are. He says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That is, the wisdom of God is what gives us light as to what God is. By the way, you could translate that word wisdom as expertise. We get experts as we get to know Him and better and better and better we know more and more and compared to the foolish people out there we are experts in the things of God because God reveals them and he brings the light to us you see and so that becomes something <clears throat> that is very important 
we are people who uh, have the blessing of uh, seeing and knowing the light. And then finally, <clears throat> the fourth thing is Christ continues carrying converts from darkness to light. Did you get that? Christ continues carrying converts from darkness to light. That's the only way. They can't, it says, it says they can't obtain it. They can't take hold of it. They can't understand it. They can't believe it. They can't believe it. But it's God that takes them out of darkness into light. In that passage we uh, had read to us from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Notice it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in what? Light. In light. That's, that's, that's the inheritance we have. That's part of our inheritance is light to know, to see, to understand. And he says, for he rescued, notice that, he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He rescued us. He, he actually, in the original, has the idea of he transplanted us. He took us out of this ugly patch here and put us in with the rest of the strawberries so we could all grow as nice strawberries, you see. <laughs> he transplanted us. He tra I'm not saying you're strawberries. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I think that's so important. He transplanted us to the kingdom of His Son. And then we have to go back to what we looked at earlier that Christ is the light. He translated us, transplanted us, I should say, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ, which is the kingdom of light. And so we are part of the kingdom of light. And notice he says, the, the kingdom of his beloved Son. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What does that, what does that mean? Does it mean Christ was the first created being? No. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that Christ was the first one that rose from the dead. And we are a new creation in Him. And so we are, we are in the creation of the resurrected people that He was the beginning of. You see? And He began the family of the resurrected and we are part of the family of the resurrected. And it's, so we are the first born or he was the firstborn and we follow him in the resurrection life that's why we again go back to Romans 6 
And we died with him and were raised together with him. And he is the head of the family. And then he goes on and says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So you are a new creation in Christ, not for yourself, but for him. You belong to him. And he owns you, and therefore he is your Lord and Master because he bought you and paid for you. And I think we have to recognize that one of the missing ingredients in most of the church today is the concept of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, if I can make my own decision and come to Christ, and I have the ability to do that, I have the ability to do everything else I need to do for myself. But I don't even have the ability to come to Christ unless He transplants me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's all His work. It's all what He does. And I am what I am, as Paul says, by the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful? We, we, are, we are something special because we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what does the rest of that verse say? Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You see, we're, we're, living, we're living in a new world. We're living in a Christ world. We're living in a Christ-centered world and He has to be Lord of that world and Lord of us and Lord of our lives. And so, we are, we are transplanted into His kingdom. And... Notice he says that everything was created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now, we often just take that phrase in him all things hold together and we think of the universe. But think of that spiritually. We're all held together by Jesus Christ. He's the one that keeps us. He's the one that holds us all together. And he holds us together as a body of God's people. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's the great mystery of what God has done for us. And it, it's such a, a, a beautiful thing. So, taking all of this, putting it together, there are two kinds of people sitting here in this building today. There are those who are sitting here who have never experienced the transfer from darkness to light. They're, and I don't know you, and I don't know your heart, and I don't need to know it, but God knows it. God knows it. And 
if you're here today, you need, and you haven't been transferred, you need to be transferred. You need to seek God and ask Him to work in your heart and life so that you will come to know Him. And let me point out, as I look at the Lord's table here before us, if you are still in darkness, you have no permission from God to partake of this because you're expressing that you are part of Christ and what He has done in His body and blood for you. And you're telling a lie. You're telling a lie. See, the table that is here is for those who have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And as we celebrate, then we can come to the table with a clear conscience and a heart of worship and love for Him. Because, because He has done it all for us. And that's what we're saying. You did it all for us. You did it all for us. You transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So therefore, we come to this table and worship you for what you have done for us. For what you have done for us. And may, may our hearts, as we meet around this table, rejoice and worship him who transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love, for being who you are eternally in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, taking us out of the darkness and captivity of sin and taking us into the light and life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all you've done for us and help us to live and rejoice in the fullness of all of this. We ask it in Jesus' name and we praise you for what you have done. Amen.